Well, good morning on this Wednesday in the ninth week of Ordinary Time. We have today this beautiful letter written. This is the last letter that Paul would write. He's in prison in Rome. It's probably around the year 65, 66. We don't have that in specific, but we know he's executed about that. He'll be beheaded. And he writes this final letter to Timothy. It's actually recognized by scriptural scholars as the last of the epistles, the last of Paul's writings. And he's writing to this young individual who's been called forth into ministry. And we have from that many beautiful understandings in our faith. We have this statement of the laying on of hands, the imposition of my hands, he says to us in verse 6 from this chapter. And from that, we have the ordination rite, which we celebrated recently with two of our new deacons, and we'll celebrate joyfully this Saturday with one more in the cathedral in Boise. This laying on of hands became a rite of our church. And it indicates a call to ministry and a specific assignment. But in this same epistle, there's a message to all of us, not just Timothy. He's, he's, Paul is writing this to each one of us. And he says this beautifully in verse 9. He saved us and called us to a holy life, not according to our works, but according to his own design. And we have to let that sink in. I mean, every life ordained by God is purposeful. And it's part of his grand plan for the human story. And all of us are then given this charter, this mission, to serve the world and serve people in, in a very various uh, function of ways. We, we are given skills and gifts that vary person to person. But to be so named and to be called forth before the world began, he says that, bestowed on us in Christ Jesus before time began. Before time began, you were already an idea, a design, an intentionality in life. And you were born, all of us, born into a specific, specific circumstances in location and time and place to bring forth his glory. We celebrate today, hence we wear the the martyrs read, Charles Luanga and his companions, who in 1886 were called by King Mwanga. Their names sound similar, Charles Luanga and King Mwanga, two different individuals. But the king had invited him into his kingdom in northern Africa to bring ministry. But then saw how effective Charles and companions were in converting people from the aboriginal faiths, and the king became jealous and he had him tortured and killed. He died in 1887, and he was sainted in 1964 by St. John Paul, St. Paul VI, St. Paul VI. And his life was one of standing in faith as Paul did, knowing that he would suffer in his life of ministry for the cause of faith. And we, likewise, in our Christian walk of faith, in our various roles and responsibilities in our families and in our communities, we may find ourselves at times feeling a bit martyred. We may find ourselves a bit oppressed, probably not to the point of death or true suffering that Charles Luanga and companions knew and other many, many thousands of martyrs, tens of thousands of martyrs. But we do feel uh, imposed upon or rejected, and there is a bit of suffering, even if it be relational or emotional. There's some suffering involved. What's interesting, just a couple of other excerpts from this letter from Timothy, which is so beautiful. Our reading today begins, uh, it's in 2 Timothy, first chapter, and there's this beautiful introduction to Timothy. Paul writes, I am grateful to God, who who I worship with a clear conscience as my ancestors did. It's the passing down of the ancestral faith that links us to the gospel out of Mark. 
Uh, As I remember you constantly in my prayers, Timothy, night and day, I yearn to see you again, recalling your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. As I recall your sincere faith that you first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. In seminary, I learned that phrase, it's to Jesus through Mary, to our faith through our mothers. And isn't that true in Tim's case? Certainly true in my case, my mother and father in a joint ministry of passing the faith on to my siblings and I, but it's my mother's constancy and faith that I I see lived out every day in my life. In the Gospel from Mark, we're in the 12th chapter today, and we have this interesting dialogue. So you've heard before, Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. Pharisees did, Sadducees did not. They did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in angelic beings. That wasn't part of their concept of the Jewish faith. So isn't it fascinating on its head that it's the Sadducees who are asking Christ about the resurrection. So on its, on its very surface, it's an odd question because they don't even believe in the topic in which they are inquiring. And we can see what they're attempting to do, and this happens to some of us at times. In scripture, a person has a question, but their inquiry is not genuine. Their, their reason for asking you, well, what about this, and pointing out some paradox in scripture is not to seek understanding. It's not to delve into the treasures of the, of the faith or to understand the wisdom as captured in the words of Christ, the Holy Spirit. It's rather to find a paradox and point out to you some, some brilliant understanding they've arrived at that, that Christianity has somehow missed. And we find ourselves in those moments at times. And my suggestion, uh, having learned and handled that improperly in the past, here's a suggestion how to manage that in the future. Pe- people will come to you with questions at times or question the Christian faith or Christian Catholicism teaching of the church, that, that's part of the human story. My suggestion is in those moments is uh, perhaps just echo Christ's response. And the first is he, he responds to their question with a question, not a statement. That's not his first offering. It's a question in response to a question. So um, maybe one of our first questions back when a person comes to us with appears to be an inquiry and there's some doubt or suspicion on your mind about its genuineness. It seems like it's more intended to shame or embarrass or point out a paradox. We might begin generously and compassionately with, with, well, one, I'm glad you asked, but why is that important to you? Could be a question. Why is that important to you? Because understanding why it's important to you is gonna help me find answers that may help you, gonna help me navigate scripture or navigate the teaching of the church, the catechism, that may give you the information you're seeking. So give me a little more context, if you would, you can ask the person. Give me a little more background as to your interest. What is it you're, you're trying to find out here? Because this is a very specific question to 1,500 years of scriptural development and 6,000 years between Jewish and Christian faith of historical truths and Holy Spirit's inspiration. So there's a lot here to work with. Kind of narrow me down a little bit to, to what you're after. But today we have this. Some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him and put this question to him. Teacher, Moses wrote for us, if someone, someone's brother dies, uh, that actually was out of Deuteronomy. It's in the 25th chapter of Deuteronomy. It's called the Leverite marriage. The Leverite marriage was because the people of Israel 
the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were told by God to be separate. They were not to intermingle. They were not to mix their faith traditions. They were to remain devout and focused on God, the I am, Yahweh. And within that cultural understanding, uh, they did not marry outside of their immediate families. And so, uh, as a consequence, their teaching was if a brother did die, that that woman, now widowed, was not to marry someone else from another country or another culture. She was to marry within the family, in this case, a brother, who would then take her into their home, take her into his home. And if the, his deceased brother had already had children, he would raise them as his own. And then he would bring her into his home as his wife, and they would raise children together. That's called the, the Leverite marriage. That's what they're referring to. So they pose this in, inquiry to Christ about, well, now whose wife will she be in the end when she dies and goes to this, this heaven that you speak of, Master? Whose wife will she be? Interesting question. Whose wife will she be? And we hear his response. He says that when they arise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but they are like the angels in heaven. And that has to be comforting to us. And this is my understanding worthy of your own pursuit and study. We are intended in life by God. Every life is ordained by God. Every life is ordained by God. And we here sitting here on a Wednesday morning are here because we are responding to a call that has entered our heart and we have turned authentically, even in our doubts, we've turned authentically to Christ and said, I believe, I wanna know more, but I do believe. And we spend our life growing in that belief. When we die, that promise from Christ is fulfilled. I will lose none of these that you have given me, Father. I bring them home, I've gone to prepare room for them, I will come and get them. That, that's true in our faith. There is an eternity. There's an eternity for everyone, some in the proximity of God, some not but there's an eternity for everyone. And those who follow him and accept him as Lord and Savior will have that promise fulfilled in eternity. Will we recognize our loved ones in that eternal joy? Yes, but I imagine, just given Christ's words, it will be an angelic relationship. I shared with you the story, maybe last year, some of you, about um, when my father died, he died eight years ago, when my father died, I questioned my mom had was, will your dad know me when I get to heaven? Will your dad know me, new priest? Will your dad know me? And I said, yes. And I said, especially he'll know you, mom, because not long after he died, you got rid of that couch that he liked and you didn't. And there's gonna be an accounting for what happened to that couch. So yes, dad will know you when you get there. But it will be an angelic bond of recognition I don't know how to define that. I, I'm not of the mental faculty to describe what that is. But it's an angelic knowingness. Angels are aware and, and, and uh, very uh, animated and aware of their, of their life and glory. So yeah, there will be a recognition of the other, but it won't be in the construct of the marriage bonds as we know them here on earth. So praise God, you'll, your loved ones will see you again. They will. All loved ones, you'll see them again if they have gone to glory in the faith. But the bonds that we describe for societal structure here on earth will be different. They'll be different. As we go forward today in our liturgy, we celebrate Charles Luanga and his companions. They were called into ministry 
just as we are called into ministry in a different time and place. They were called to shed the blood of martyrs. We may or may not be in our lifetime. That's, that's in our future for, for to, to, be, uh, to be understood. But we are called to live that martyr's life, which is dying to self, living for Christ, and bringing peace and compassion and truth into people's lives every day that the Lord gives us. Charles Wangan Companions, pray for us.